We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Base Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing college esports. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. So all of the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Jesse. So Jesse, thanks for joining us. Introduce yourself to tell us who you are and what do you do. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Justin. Uh, I'm, my name is, is Jesse Bedoni. I'm the director of esports over at Pace University in New York. And uh, I've been there for a few years now, and I help sort of build and grow and operate their collegiate esports program. Amazing. So tell us a little about your you know, past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played and how did you kind of transition to the esports academic space? I've been pretty addicted to video games since I can remember, uh, since I can just remember having memories at all super young. Um, I actually started out with a game called Backyard Football. That was the first game I was really into, backyard sports games. Um, and then from there, StarCraft, the original StarCraft is a big game for me. StarCraft, StarCraft 2 guy here, so I, I know the obsession with it. Yeah, I played StarCraft, eventually played StarCraft 2 a lot, played that competitively. Uh, my main group of friends in high school, middle school, we bonded over World of Warcraft. So that was a, another big game for us. And then nowadays it's League, League, of, League of Legends. That's the, the big game for me. I still play with my wife and nice. got her into it. And, and so that's kind of our, our game of choice these days. Nice. You got all the good ones, it sounds like. Yeah, so- a few of the good ones for sure. Now, StarCraft, that's that's probably my favorite game. Right. It was like I picked it up a little while ago and I was like, I remembered all the hot keys. They just like came to me and my pro, 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 PVP. The muscle memory. Yeah. So, so how'd you kind of get involved in academic spaces? I know you work at Pace University running their esports program. Yeah. I, um, so before Pace, um, and a while, a while back, I, uh, was getting my graduate degree at a small liberal arts school out in California called Dominican University of California. And I started their esports program there while I was uh, working as the executive assistant to one of the deans and getting my graduate degree um, and just noticed there was a lot of gamers on campus and just wanted to do it. And it wound up being really popular and pretty successful endeavor. I was like, oh, there's something to this. Something's going on. Um, 
And right around that time, that's when sort of the first CLOL competition started happening. There was some momentum around TESPA and esports clubs, student run initiatives on campus. And that led to uh, me and my previous business partner, Alex, starting a small consultancy where we worked with colleges and universities to help them build esports programs. So once I did it at my first institution, I was like, wow, there's so many schools, so many students who are kind of looking at this, wanting to do it, and there's almost no resources on how to do it. How, how do you build an esports program? What do you need? What kind of resources do you need? Do you need a facility? How do you properly weave it into the fabric of a school, and not just burn through cash and get students engaged and find academic integrations? So we tried to create those resources for schools and for the space. We ended up working through COVID, worked with north of 90 or 100 institutions of all shapes and sizes, two years, four years, private, public, community colleges, some school districts. And then eventually Pace was one of the schools that, that we worked with. They were really looking to spin esports up. And I was looking to transition out of that consultancy and they were looking for a director and one thing led to another and I ended up here. Amazing. Well, it sounds like they're really in good hands. So tell us a little bit about Pace. Do they have competitive programs? Do they have any academic ones? Or Yeah, so Pace's program, it's actually one of the larger programs in the country. This past semester, we had 135 students competing. So that's just on our esports teams. And we had uh, 25 different teams across six game titles. Rocket League, League of Legends, Fortnite, Overwatch 2, um, Valorant, and Super Smash Bros. And then we have a broader gaming community of, of casual gamers, of which there are about 800 students. So it's a really large constituency at pace. Uh, but we have, the way it's set up is we have three levels of competitive teams. So we have varsity teams. So esports at pace is considered a varsity sport, just as you consider soccer or basketball or baseball. We treat it as a varsity offering. So they have mm -hmm. practices, jerseys, coaches, the whole nine yards. Uh, and we have one team per game title. Then we have a set of academy teams, of which there's also one per game title, as sort of our in-house development. Those you know, students who aren't quite at a varsity level, but really are pushing and want to get there. And then we want to cast a wide, you know, at as wide a net as possible for our our gamers, so we have sort of a broader base of club teams, which is any skill level, no cuts. If you want to play, you get to play, and we sort of help them join a conference we participate in, and they get to compete and meet friends and, and have a great time. Amazing. So how do you kind of decide what games you get involved in and, you know, different leagues and tournaments you compete in? How does that all work? The game title selection is pretty much based on popularity uh sort of an intersection of what's popular just broadly right now uh and then also what students are playing mm -hmm. so that that's that's the meat of the consideration we do have to take into account uh, where we draw institutional guidelines so um some super realistic first-person shooters. The institution may not be comfortable offering those game titles, despite students perhaps wanting them. But that's kind of how we go about selecting what, what games we offer. And then uh, in terms of the conferences we play in, 
We played in multiple this year. We played in the ECAC, the Eastern Collegiate Athletic Conference. We played in the NECC, the National Esports Collegiate Conference. And then we also played various developer leagues. So CLOL, by Riot, CVAL are, are the two the two main ones. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely a very interesting landscape where you have all these different organizations and different games. And what about an academic side? Do you offer any courses for the students? Is it something you're looking to expand into? We don't offer courses through the esports program directly. We do have a few courses that students can take uh, around gaming and video games. We have a professor who's really into it. I think there's a history of video games course, for example. And one more that he offers that's really popular. But we are rolling out, just got approved this major for fall 2024, a game development major. And that was very much the brainchild of Pace Esports and then our Seidenberg School, which is our computer science school. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the video game industry is massive. Game development and game design is a hugely popular career pathway right now. And our computer science program is fantastic. So we're spinning up more courses and a dedicated major in, in lieu of that. That's exciting. Is it going to be focused on AI and how that involves in, you know, whole game development and stuff? Or I probably, I'm not sure how much of a role AI will play. I think AI is playing a role in most disciplines at this point. How does AI interface with business or marketing or the humanities or, you know, game development? So I'm sure it will pop in there at various various points amazing so obviously working in the college space how are talented high school players or potentially former pros being steered to the college scene is this something that is being development like how does this all work that is a very good question um it works differently in different segments of the collegiate esports industry and what I mean by that is that there's a small group of schools, a minority of, of collegiate programs that um, offer scholarships, some are full ride, maybe partial scholarships, who recruit just as they do in traditional collegiate athletics, right? Where they're looking at the next best uh, high school players, maybe they're recruiting ex-professionals who are looking to come back to get their degrees, which they didn't finish for whatever reason. And those schools, there's not a, a ton of them, um, but they're, they're doing everything that traditional athletics is doing. So they're using various recruitment platforms to recruit these students. There's combines. Uh, they're talking with connections they have in the industry. They have high school connections. They look within the games themselves at the leaderboards to see who's up and coming some of its inbound demand so that's how it works for the top end of collegiate <laughs> athletics and the key distinction there is the scholarships right okay. so those top end programs are sort of characterized by whether they offer scholarships or not <laughs> pace is actually in the other segment of non scholarship offering collegiate programs, right? So uh, take Maryville or Northwood or UC Irvine or any of those schools, we don't actually draw necessarily from the same pools of students because when a student has a full ride to go somewhere versus 
no scholarship. It's, you know, it's not exactly a fair, a fair fight. So there's those schools. And then Pace more tries to position itself at the top end of non-scholarship offering programs, of which there are many. And I would, I would assume the majority of programs. Oklahoma, other top programs, these are programs that try to market the program in really strong ways. Hey, we have an esports facility. We're competitively successful. We have varsity teams. We have some coaches. No, we don't offer scholarships, but you can still have a really great experience in our program competing at a super high level uh, while you get your education. And that's more of the student base that we pull from. So I still try to recruit. I reach out to talented students, mostly in the East Coast, and have some mechanisms for doing that. But uh, insofar as we're not scholarship offering, there are some restrictions and parameters to who we might be able to attract versus other programs that have. That makes sense. So it's, does it usually current students or that are like, you know, hey, if you're a Pace and you want to join the team, try out? Or is it prospective students and they're coming specifically, you know, to be on the League of Legends team? It, yeah, it's both for sure. It's um, some students, they're in their junior year at Pace and maybe they just heard about the program and the fall they try out and they're a great player and hey, now they're on the varsity team. So that's definitely a pathway, but the majority are students that we bring because of our program. So it's a combination of me reaching out to students directly and building out a, a good regional pipeline of high schools in our, our area as sort of a feeder system. But then also we work very closely with our admissions team uh, to leverage our program for general enrollment and, and collecting students that way. So when students fill out an application, they're allowed to mark off areas of interest, and one of those areas of interest is esports and gaming. So maybe Pace is a top 10 choice for a student. They're interested in esports. I'm able to access that data, have a conversation with them, and maybe I'm able to, you know, get them to come to Pace through that conversation. That's great. I mean, and that makes a lot of sense that if you're able to offer scholarships, you need to approach it much more like a traditional you know, collegiate athletic program who's recruiting and making sure that if you have five scholarships, you're using those in the best way possible, right? You don't want to give a scholarship to a player who a year or two is going to burn out or not come to practice or be a problem. And then you just wasted a scholarship. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have to be super intentional and you never know exactly, you know, a student may look great on paper and might have great conversations and then you know, college is a hectic time and things can go sideways, but generally, yes, you'd want to try to get those resources in the hands of students that are going to help build your program in the long run. Awesome. So in addition to working at Pace, you also work with Voice. So you know, tell us what this organization is and what your role is with it. Yeah, Voice is, um, Voice is a nonprofit organization that was spun up a few a few years ago. And broadly, the mission of Voice which stands for Voice of Intercollegiate Esports, is to make college esports better in very vague terms. But that's generally the mission of the organization is we want to better the ecosystem and, and make, the, make the space better for both students and colleges and industry. So the three big buckets that sort of intermix within, within the ecosystem. The way we do that primarily is through scholarship research and I mean, kind of an academic approach. So many of the people with Invoice, a lot of them are volunteers, 
uh, with academic backgrounds, PhDs, researchers. We try to address systemic issues within the space through scholastic lens uh, and create policy, white papers, research that helps move the, lead, move the needle forward. For example, a big project we're sinking our teeth into right now is around eligibility, which is a big issue in collegiate. Uh, there's many different conferences. You can play online. You can play on people's accounts. Eligibility, eligibility is, is kind of a, a pain point for a lot of folks. And so we're doing a, a pretty big landscape. So right, grade landscape point system. average, right? Different schools, grading systems. Yeah, exactly. How do you go about doing that in the right way, in the right way for such a young industry with so many moving parts? So that's, for example, how we try to make good on that mission. And then also we have uh, sort of uniquely, we, we have what's called our President's Advisory Council. And this is a group of university presidents, which we've aggregated at various institutions to try to bring their voice into the conversation. Something that's been missing, we feel, in collegiate to date has been the voice of sort of the, the highest powers that be mm -hmm. at the institutions, being the chancellors and presidents. and getting their opinion, getting their, their buy-in and their weight behind certain policies and ideas and setting the strategic direction to some extent for the ecosystem is something that we're helping try to drive internally. So those two things, research, academics, bettering the space, working with the university presidents, that's kind of voice in a so, nutshell. So yeah, I think that's a really important point that you bring up and something that, you know, I think a lot of people encounters are trying to work in this academic world is the disconnect between, you know, the higher ups, the presidents, the, the deans, the people that really finalize and okay the decisions and kind of what's going on on the ground and what, you know, people like you and your other colleagues are dealing with on a day to day basis where some of this doesn't fit into the cookie cutter you know, what they're used to in academia. It's like, if you've been a professor or a dean or whatever for 20, 30 years, this is not the same process. It moves too quick. There's different things. So it's, so how do you find that conversation? Are they very open and willing or? Sometimes, sometimes they're open and willing. I would say most of the time they, they are. Um, it takes, it can take a little bit for folks who, didn't grow up native to gaming and esports to wrap their head around it, um, especially when the predominant narrative in their heads might be a negative one that mm. video games are addictive, that they're counterproductive, that they're counterintuitive to success in the classroom. So, unwinding those mm -hmm. stories that have been culturally ingrained for years and years uh, takes some effort for sure, but they're really important conversations to have because, as, as you said, for the ecosystem to work both at an industry level, but also within specific institutions, you need that common understanding between upper level administrators, the C-suite, the people who are mobilizing resources and making high level decisions, and the boots on the ground folks who might have that domain expertise in esports and gaming. So, you know, having conversations, disseminating as much education as you can, building allies across the institution, it's all super important work. Great. I mean, I think that's really important. I remember when it was launched, I was really excited to see kind of what they were working on. And it sounds like, I know recently you had announced something. So what's some of the recent stuff you've been working on and where is kind of, you know, the future of voice? So the future of, of voice, 
the future of voice is pretty much contingent on the future of collegiate, I would say. And it's sort of a not particularly direct answer, but voice is always going to serve to exist to solve the current pressing needs of the industry and the ecosystem and of collegiate programs. So whatever that may be, um, and however much people, power, and resources we can put behind those initiatives, that's that's what voice is going to be doing. And hopefully we're around in a few years and five years and 10 years and are helping get collegiate to the next milestones in its development. Um, but I, I think that our trajectory likely maps onto the trajectory of collegiate, whatever, whatever that may look like. Do you see it as kind of trying to be an NCA or do we see the NCA as something that you would work with to make policies? Or I know that's one of those dirty words in the college space is the NCA in general, but you know, is that like, you know, how would that work? Yeah, it's, it's not, we don't really have conversations that position ourselves in some way in relation to them or who we're trying to be. I think we're very singularly focused on the task at hand and just trying to do right by the space and do right by schools and do right by the industry. Um, there's a lot of unknowns in collegiate, whether the NCAA decides to come into the space, whether they decide to stay on the sidelines, what other conferences may want to do and, and whether they want to take on a more centralized governance role. You know, they, they can do that. I think we're, we're just, you know, we just try to be focused on doing really well the stuff that we're involved in, which is uh, addressing these sort of systemic issues and, and setting some strategic direction. And if, if standardization is what the industry calls for and needs, and it makes sense for our organization to do it, well, I think we'll, it's not like we'll shy away from that conversation. We can cross that bridge when we get there, but it's not something that we're like, yes, this is where we want to be or where we need to be in the next several years. Great. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it'll be interesting. I know we know the NCA stance on this is they're not really kind of interested in it right now. And I think that has its benefits and drawbacks, obviously, from an, an institution, from the higher ups kind of, you know, getting behind certain things. And then, you know, obviously the economics of it, where, if, you know, if there's a lot of money to be found, I'm sure the NCAA is going to be a lot more interested in it than they might be now. Right. And, Ultimately, that I believe is you know where it goes, and we'll kind of touch on that later. But before that, I wanted to give you you know an honor. Congrats again! So recently, you won the 2023 Esports Director of the Year Award at the Scholars Award, which was presented by the Esports Awards in Vegas. So tell us a little about that. What was it like attending the event, and then what was it like winning? Were you surprised? Were you know did you just like oh obviously I'm going to win? Uh, I'm I'm Jesse. <laughs> no, I. I... That was not my, uh, I did not expect it. That, that wasn't my expectation going in, but thank you very much. I super appreciate that. Um, it was, so the experience itself was awesome. I think that having the eSports Awards, which has been running, I think this was eighth year now, having them look at the collegiate space and spin up a dedicated uh, intellectual property and day dedicated to celebrating and recognizing students and uh, faces that make up this industry what well, was a, a watermark moment for for collegiate esports and mm -hmm. the fact that they shown 
such a great spotlight on on the folks who make this happen uh, I think is tremendous so a big a big shout out to them the event itself was incredibly well well produced getting to meet so many friends and colleagues who I've worked with online over the course of the past few years in person was a highlight for me um, but yeah winning the award it was it was tremendously unexpected and um, you know, was fighting imposter syndrome the whole time because there's so many people there who are so incredible and so deserving and pour their hearts and souls into their programs and have done so much for the industry. It didn't feel right for that award to go to one person. It, it there's a hundred, no joke, hundreds of deserving people out there who have just done incredible jobs with their programs and have helped shape the industry in such dramatic ways that you know I think there were easily any of the 11 or so finalists who were there could have and should have, have won it. Um, but I, I was just so, so grateful and it was, it felt great to win, but it was a collective victory as cliche as that may sound of, you know, the folks at Pace and the students who have been just so tremendous in our efforts here. They're the ones who just, they make me look really good. Um, every day I'm just, I just pay the internet bill and, you know, go about my business. It's they, you know, they, they're the ones who uh, I think are deserving of, of the credit there. Amazing. Well, it definitely looked like a great time. And, you know, like you said, it just really kind of showcases where the space has grown. And, yeah. you know, obviously the amount of great candidates just shows how, you know, robust the space is and how it's really kind of been changing. I, I'm sure as, you know, esports in general, COVID had a lot to do with it. It really kind of opened up academics and, you know, these traditional institutions to realizing, hey, not only is this an, you know, a driver for admissions, but this is like another vertical, whether it's publicity, marketing, or, you know, I always look at it as a way to engage with alumni as there's, you know, once you actually can start making money off the broadcast and people coming in person and pace esports hoodies and like, there's so much opportunities for a university to integrate this into the way they have a basketball or football team or you know a lacrosse team it's just there's so many ways and i'm i believe that's on the horizon and you know as you said you're starting to see the industry overall starting to spotlight the players the programs the operators and you know the individuals behind it which you know i think is you know really important and seems like a great trend mm -hmm. yep absolutely and, and i think you said it exactly right it's an esports program can be so much and do so much for an institution, um, and it's just about helping people understand what those opportunities are and how to how to enact them. So, what's kind of the future for Pace's esports program? I know you said you're developing the major. Is it, you know, do you have an on-campus facility or what's how's that going? Yeah, we have a couple on-campus facilities. We have the major in progress, but I think for Pace, uh, we want to continue to sort of be at the cutting edge of what ecology sports can be and help push the industry forward. We want to continue setting the bar for what it means to integrate an esports program with, with academics and the curriculum. We want to keep pushing on the competitive side and continue to hold down our position as the number one program in New York and eventually maybe the broader Eastern region and do what we can do nationally on the competitive front. I think we want to find ways to continue innovating our program when it comes to DEI initiatives, when it comes to 
curricular opportunities for our students and broadcasting um, our trials and tribulations and successes and pitfalls, everything we go through so that other programs can do what we do or avoid what we're doing or um, think about how they might be able to implement some of the stuff themselves. So I think just keep pushing, setting the bar, innovating and leading, leading in some sense. Right. I definitely think that New York definitely needs to step it up a little bit. Some of the uni- there's a bunch more universities here that are not really in involved as it. We know Syracuse is really starting to develop some stuff, but mm-hmm. you know, there's definitely other programs, other big schools that I think as your competitors start to get better and sort of take it seriously, it just elevates the whole scene and you know makes it just even more exciting at that point. So yep. what's the future of college esports? You know, on the competitive side, academics, how big can it really get and how? That is the million dollar question. Um, the lame answer is that I don't know exactly, but I will give you my prediction. Um, well, first of all, I'll say that I think the ceiling is immense. I think that there is a possibility for collegiate esports to become potentially I hesitate ultimate to say, frisbee team, right? Like the ultimate no, frisbee no, I, team. I, I, I would I would wager that it has the capacity to be on par in popularity with traditional athletics. Um football, soccer, basketball. I think we're a ways away from that many years down the road. But you know the underlying metric that's important there is the amount of college kids and and students that age at universities who play video games and that number is doing nothing but growing and rising more and more money is being pumped into the space and you know if if that's true i don't see why the industry should it be able to take the right developmental steps forward Why, why it can't um continue to grow in size and stature and be akin to to what some of the bigger collegiate athletic sports are today. So I think that the upper ceiling is massive. Will we get there? Hopefully, maybe, years down the road. Um, I think some immediate shorter-term trends that you're starting to see uh, that are concrete is that more bigger Division I institutions are starting to come into the space. And that's that's a pretty big deal. And I think you're just starting to see the first couple of dominoes fall there. And that's and not some D1 institutions, big D1 institutions uh, like University of Oregon or Oklahoma, they have programs. What I mean is D1 institutions that don't have programs that are looking at collegiate and putting some serious money behind standing up a program to be a real Division One esports program. You have Syracuse in New York. They went out, they got one of the top directors in Joey Gariziak. They're doing some really cool stuff over there. You had uh, Cody from Northwood, who that's one of the best competitive programs that Collegiate has seen. He is now over at North Carolina State building their program. I think those are the tip of the iceberg in terms of some big, bigger D1 institutions and some big, big money coming into the space to really lock and load for for the next sort of phase of, of collegiate esports. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely think that, you know, League of Legends, Ohio State versus Michigan is going to be as big as football, Ohio State, Michigan. You're have yeah, man. The tailgates, everyone's going to be in cosplay. It's going to be like a huge <laughs> festival out. And then everyone's going to go inside and, you know, go blue. So it's going to – so I just see that it's that's where I believe it's going to go. I, I'm very gung-ho on it. And for the reason that you said is that the students, the potential students are going to grow up with this even more ingrained in their life, being – seeing – you know, these kids win millions of dollars playing games, seeing these kids at 16 years old making six figures plus a year playing Fortnite and Call of Duty and the stuff that you and I have been playing every single day for fun. They're making six figures at 12. You know, I'm looking at these Rocket League kids and they're signing $120,000, $150,000 deals at like 17. It's like, oh, that's like real that's what you want to walk out with that's a great job out of that's what you walk out of law school with a job at 150k not a 16 year old playing rocket league so it's kind of like this is the world that they're going to be growing up in it's going to be more normal than it is for me or you or you know everyone else really yeah those i mean esports athletes are gamers idols you know who are who are aspiring esports players but the thing, and that's, I think that point sort of underscores why collegiate is so important is because while everyone growing up in Rocket League is going to aspire to be Zen and everyone in League is going to aspire to be Faker, 0.0000002% of those players are going to get there. But the vast majority, collegiate might be the peak of their competitive careers, and it's a great place to land. Uh, because if you're 16 and you need to go pro, that isn't always synonymous with getting your degree or getting an education, right? But playing for a really great competitive team, getting to achieve great competitive heights while getting a degree, and, and also being making, a college student and, and all that comes with just, that, yeah, and maturing, you know, in in a university setting, there's a ton of value there, and that I think is is one of the biggest benefits to collegiate. Uh, for the entire esports industry. Definitely. Well, I'm very gung-ho on it. And, you know, I definitely know that you guys at Pace are working on some great stuff. So I'd like to end each episode with my three questions. So sure. what's your favorite game to watch? Favorite game to watch is still League of Legends for me. Okay. So favorite game to play? Also League of Legends. At the moment, I would have to go with League. Yep. And so who's your favorite video game character? In the game itself? Or any anyone of all time. You can pick your favorite Wii character. You can give me uh, both. Okay. Dealer's choice. Well, my favorite esports athlete is Faker. And uh, maybe I'm a simp for that. But I think he's, he's the GOAT. And I've been following him for ages. But in-game? Oh, man. That's a tough one. Maybe. You know, I'm, I love League of Legends. I love Arcane. Jinx, who's also my main in League of Legends, that's who I I one trick. That's who I play. Probably Jinx, I think is is the answer that comes into my brain. So I'll go with Jinx. Yeah, I'm with it. So thank you so much for joining me. This was extremely insightful. So tell everybody where they can connect with you and see what you're working on at Pace and the Voice. Yeah, I'm on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn. So you can just search Jesse Budoni. You can find me on either of those platforms. If you want to learn more about Pace, you go to our website, which is paceuesports.com. We've got tons of information up there. And then we have our social on there if you want to follow along with our program. 
Awesome. Well, thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q and check Apple podcast for all our past episodes. And now, as you see, we're transitioning to video. So make sure to check YouTube where we'll be having videos along with all the audio. Okay. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.